0: Okay, so as we finish up our series here in November that we've been doing on praise and Thanksgiving, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, you remember, and we, we always mention this, this holiday season is not always all great for a lot of people. It kind of puts a magnifying glass on things that have gone wrong or people who are missing, some recent, some long time. And so we're always real sensitive about that. And uh, I, I, But I do hope that you have had... Some very tangible, visible things and some in the form of people's names to give you reason to pause and give God thanks and give God praise. We, after I think it's our first time since COVID, we did our annual MASH Fest where me and my two brothers and our families and our dad got together for Thanksgiving. The camping trip that we always did because of our age has turned into a VRBO rental trip. And, uh, and it was great. So Shade and Emma are here from Oregon. So glad to have had them. Jakin got to come in from Harding and college. Callie on her mission post down in Mexico. She wasn't able to come, but we got to FaceTime with her. And so it was just a wonderful time with family and extended family. I hope you got a dose of those things too. So as we wrap up this series and turn into December, I've not used this analogy in this series, but I've been thinking it ever since I began the study about these two, what I'm presenting as disciplines, these twin disciplines of praise and thanksgiving, which theologically have come to mean so much more to me in these last four weeks. And I'm hoping to, to leave you with the, the, an emphasis on these that maybe you didn't have before. But I've been thinking of these twin disciplines as we've been studying them as siphons. You know what a siphon is? My first exposure to what a siphon was, was I was a little kid and my dad needed some gasoline for our lawnmower. And it was either because he didn't want to, you know, make the trip to the gas station or our financial situation. It could have been either. But he got this tube from the garage and he put it into our old station wagon, the family station wagon. And he starts inhaling on the tube until gas starts coming out. And I remember him spitting that out and putting the tube into the lawnmower. So uh, uh, that, that's a siphon, okay? Okay. And so what he did was from that larger tank of fuel, he filled that smaller tank in order to make the lawnmower operational. And that's what I think of a little bit with what praise and thanksgiving, it's not a perfect analogy, but, but you see what I'm saying, I think. When we use them, they're like those tubes, and they tap into some reservoir of fuel, of joy, but it's eternal, and it's endless, okay, and it's unexhaustible god's reservoir of joy and these two things are like us inhaling trying to inhale into us to siphon from that larger tank of god's reservoir of strength and joy and fill our smaller tank in a way that makes us operational no matter what happens that's the only way i've come to like Figure out how to make sense of some of these teachings in Scripture that just sound so strong and unrelenting, almost intimidating and unrealistic. And I've anchored into these each week for you, where Paul says, Be joyful how often? Always. We're to give the sacrifice of praise when? Continually. We're to give thanks in what circumstances? All circumstances. This just sounds so like demanding and and it is but this idea that praise and thanksgiving can be done even when we're not motivated to do it and it siphons God's joy into me that actually is part of the source of how I'm able to praise and give thanks no matter what comes makes some sense to me This language is demanding and it does sound unrealistic. I hope this series has helped you open up that maybe from a kingdom citizen perspective, it's not unrealistic. That that he says these things boldly and with a smile through scripture to say it is possible that the believer in you rises up and you start going, maybe I should stop being so rational in an earthbound way and start opening up that maybe there's some secrets here, some kingdom truths that can serve me, because I think that's what's happening here. So even though I do believe from a kingdom perspective, these are realistic things, they are still demanding sounding, aren't they? It is demanding, but I hope you're starting to hear texts that sound demanding, that you don't picture a God that is saying, do it or else. That you're seeing the demands of Scripture for what they are. Loving demands of a father. Fatherly demands. He's demanding it because he wants you to have all the life that you can have. He wants you to have access to all the joy that he purchased your access to. He wants you to have it. He wants to protect you from the anxiety that is common to the human being because of things that happen to us. He wants to protect us from that. I would demand things for my kids all the time when they were in my house. I would demand that they stay out of the street. It wasn't a legalistic devastating thing. It was out of my love. I want to to preserve their life. I would demand that they intend family dinner that Carrie would prepare. And it was literally to fuel their bodies, literally to fuel their bodies and also help them maintain this sense of family connection and identity It was a fatherly loving demand i would demand that they tell the truth but that was an invitation to keep them free from the darkness i know that comes from lies from the weightiness that comes when we keep secrets so we are called to give thanks in all circumstances but it flows this demand flows from the fatherly love of god there's a concept that's not spoken a lot in my world, but some of yours it is. Uh, the phrase opportunity cost. There's an opportunity cost to things. It's the idea that anytime you make a choice to do something, it costs you the opportunity to do other things, to experience or do or invest in other things. The way you've heard me say it is every yes is a no to something else, and every yes is actually a no to a whole bunch of Something else is. Because when you commit a resource or a an, an course of action, you can't then use that resource of course of action for anything else. You've committed it. So there's an opportunity cost. So like an example, if you have the choice of a vanilla or a chocolate shake and you choose the good, godly, Christian vanilla, the opportunity cost is the chocolate shake. And if there's a strawberry choice as well, which is overtly evil, then the opportunity cost of having a vanilla shake is you don't have the chocolate or strawberry. Financially, if you invest $100 into Tesla stock, then the opportunity cost is every other stock that you could have put that $100 into. If you decide to make Southwest your church family, right, and we hope you do, and you're invited to if you need one, then the opportunity cost is making a lot of other churches your church family. So there's a cost to every single decision, an opportunity cost that you make. So you get the idea. And we do think in terms, maybe not of opportunity cost, but cost. We want to go to the movie. We have to pay for that. We want to go eat at Blue Sky, which I always do. I pay for that, okay? It costs something. So we often think of that. This is just in terms of opportunity or investment. But even though we often think of that, there's also a cost to things that we decide not to do. Like just it's not necessarily I'm not doing that because I'm doing this. I'm just not doing that. I'm just there's a cost to or a consequence when we decide to not do something. And so this this popped up in my mind because of a text that I found. So if someone decides, here's the example, it's a little bit extreme, but you'll follow me here. If someone simply decides not to pay their electric bill, okay, they just decide I'm not going to do it. They're not using the money for something else. They just are taking inaction, and they decide not to do that. The cost of that inaction could mean they eventually can't see in their house at night because the lights go out, okay? It could go on, and you could end up like uninformed about what's going on in the world or unentertained watching your favorite sports shows or TV shows because the TV went out. And eventually you could even become disconnected from people because we depend on these to stay connected to people. And so the energy goes away and you can't plug in. So you're less connected to people. You could end up starving because the refrigerator goes out. And even if it didn't go out and spoil the food, you don't have any way to cook your food because you don't have electricity. You could die from freezing to death because it's winter and you don't have a heater. So you see it spirals down. Of course I'm being extreme, but... You, you get the idea. The negligence of one thing can lead to an experience of a bunch of other things, and there's a direct connection to that thing that's been neglected. So we've been talking in this series, and I did it again this morning, about the positives you get. The syph- When you siphon, you use praise and thanksgiving to siphon the joy of God into you. That's the positive. But I found a text in my study that... Tells the other thing when you—that's the pause, that's the carrot, right? Well, there's a stick too, a rod. There, if you don't do praise and thanksgiving, what consequences could come? And there's a text that does this in the first chapter of Romans, and I've—I just have never read it quite this way. I've, I've used this text a lot for different things, but this is very impressive. And I'll just tell you, this text has been used in Christian history a lot of times to, to create fear, to condemn, but I won't be using that way. I'm going to be using it in the way I believe it's intended. A sad, it is a warning, but it's not an angry warning. I think it's a sad description of what happens to people who decide to not actually love and follow God. And Therefore, they don't praise and thank God because they don't love and follow him. So follow me here. You can, I won't go through all this text word for word, but I'll have it on the screen for you to check my work here. Here's how it starts. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, there's two that he points out here, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Okay, this is a mouthful, but he's saying a lot here, but included in that, and for our purposes, I just want you to see that he's saying there is... A way to recognize that there is a God and you can even know something about God without the Bible. Like he's often been called two revelations. There's scripture, but there's also creation. That he what he's suggesting is that the human being has no excuse to not believe in a creator, okay? Simply if we look with honest eyes at the world. Even science. Like using science should make us go, uh there, there must be a creator. He goes further and says there's two elements about God that you can know. And you see that. He's got his eternal power and divine nature. So his divine nature, that's a statement about who he is, right? That's something about who he is. His divine power, his eternal power, that's his capacity to do what he does, right? Those two things are obvious. And do you remember how, why this jumped off the page of me is because of what I'm about to read, but also because... You remember what the difference is between praise and thanksgiving. There's a lot of overlap. But praise, generally, is for who he is. Thanksgiving, which is his divine nature, that's in there. And thanksgiving is for what he does, right? And what he's done, which is his eternal power. But I'm not having to fit that in because it gets really interesting here. He names those two things in his next verse. Here's what he says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Here's the problem. It's not, and, and you need to be real humble here. He's talking about those who know God. He's not talking about those that deny there's a God, that there is no God. This is people who know God. And yet, they make the error of not using these siphons, of glorifying him, which I'm using as a synonym for praising him, and giving Thanks. They don't do that. They know him, but they don't do those things. So we're in jeopardy of this. You know, we're the ones who say we know God, but we could not exercise these disciplines just like these guys. And so just like I gave you a list of what characteristically could happen if someone doesn't just neglects paying their electric bill, Paul is now going to show this spiral down of what characteristically can happen to someone. Even if they know God, they do not Use these siphons. They do not glorify him. They do not give thanksgiving. So like I said, I won't read all these word for word, but you can check my work here. So those who know God, but do not give praise and thanks, they fall into futile thinking. The thinking is, it's not right. Might get stuck on something that's not true, that seems true to them. Their hearts can even get darkened, okay? And I say it seems true to them because they're claiming to be wise. They're the ones that get it. You're the one that doesn't understand even if you, have you ever met these people? You've noted they're stuck in this, this trap of thinking that makes it, you're not denying that it doesn't make sense to them, but it's futile and it's not leading to life. It's leading to hurt. it's leading to dark hearts, dis, discouragement sometimes, decisions that aren't healthy for them or those around them. And so have you ever connected? Now, before you, we talk about them. You and I have fallen into this. Have you ever looked back at yourself and said, man, I don't know what I was thinking, right? Well, at the time, you knew what you were thinking and it was right to you. So we're all capable of this. We're all capable. Have you ever connected not thinking right to your lack of practicing praise and thanksgiving? I don't know that I have, but Paul does. Maybe we should. It gets worse from there. He goes on and says that they start to totally... Oh, I almost, I almost skipped one. They give up elevating their hearts and minds to the worship of something worthy. That's God. They exchange that. They exchange it for earthly, earthbound things. Things they can see. Things that they can even create in their own image. or Just earthbound things. That changes. Have you ever encountered someone or been someone that just you don't find yourself or they don't find themselves interested in lofty things, transcendent things. They've even maybe blocked that out as a possibility that there is just what we see. There is just this. And so what choice do they have when they're going to give their lives to something, but something that they see? They don't have the choice if they don't have God as a choice, if they're denying that have you ever been that person are you that person are there areas even of your life where just god has no reign no place and so even portions of your life are just earthbound have you ever connected this to a lack of praise and thanksgiving that that's what ends us up there that's what keeps us from connecting to this loftier spiritual reality paul does maybe we should it goes on and gets pretty extreme here in the language, but just soften it, not soften it, it's, it's rough, but just make it human. It's normal, it's common, it's common. They totally indulge in whatever feels good. That's what happens. And they find others to do that with them. That's what it says. Void of something glorious, right? To, to worship, to give their life to, to void of a connection to something, that matters, which you and I know is a someone that matters ultimately and in, in the community around that. What's left but to try to satisfy these human needs for purpose, for value, for joy, for any kind of happiness, and for connection? What's left but to just go with what we see? And how do I measure that except that it, it feels good? It feels good. Do it and find people who will do that with me. Have you ever connected our impulse, our inclination to just give in to what feels good, with a lack of siphoning God's reservoir of joy, with a lack of praise, with a lack of practicing thanksgiving? Have you ever done that? Paul does. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. He goes on and lists all kinds of activity. He literally says, There's kinds of wickedness, and they do every kind. There's kinds of greed, and they do every kind. There's kinds of evil, and they do every kind. He mentions specifically, like, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malicious motives. Like, have you ever, some of these just, I, I meditated on them, malicious motives. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where someone else gets bad news, and you're just kind of secretly satisfied? Am I the only one that's done there? Yeah, it's malicious. That have you ever connected that? that? That happening. He lists a bunch of evil activities, but he doesn't stop with this list. He says they invent ways of doing evil. Have you thought about that? I paused on that one. They are using their God given ability to create, to be creative. And instead of using it for good and for loving God and loving others, they are literally using it to invent new ways to do evil. To do evil. New ways. That's how far down we can go. He describes them as, as having lost their ability to, to feel, right? To have sense. They're senseless. They've lost the capacity to have faith. They're faithless. They've lost their heart. They're heartless. And he says that not only do they do these death-producing things, but, and this is so interesting, this is in Scripture, they approve of others who do it. Okay, like, why is that in here? Have you ever thought of this, that there are people in the world that that they approve of others. They grant their approval, their favor when you do something that's less than glorious, like that's sinful. And I, I, I think this is where we get a phrase that most of you have heard that identifies an experience in humanity that is observable observable enough that this is a phrase. Misery enjoys company. Have you heard of that before? I think it comes from this. I think people who are living this lower life that has nothing transcendent about it, they are usually the ones inviting other people to do what they're doing. Have you ever noticed this? are our recovery community knows this deeply. Like it's other people who are addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs and that are inviting actively. Like they're evangelistic sometimes about inviting others to come and join. And when you do it, they approve. Yeah! Yeah, you did this devastating potentially thing. Way to go. They approve of others who do it. This is how it gets. Have you ever connected that all the way back to just not having praise and thanksgiving in your life. Paul does. Paul does. Maybe we should. There is, on the one hand, all the good things that happen when you engage in praise and thanksgiving. And we've spent three weeks on that. And that is awesome and good. That's that carrot. But on the other hand, there is also this opportunity cost for not doing it. You can start knowing God, knowing the gospel, neglect these two exercises. And it can spiral down all the way here. And there's one more word in this I want to draw attention to. God haters. God haters is in that. We can get so... our, Our thinking can become so futile. It can become so arrogant i'm the wise enlightened one you know thinking we're wise and we can get to where we look love in the face and hate it we can look love in the face and hate it all connected how important is praise and thanksgiving how important is it i know that uh I've been raised in an environment, it's made me really grateful. This study, like, I was raised in an environment like this. My parents took me and I was engaged, had all these people that put me in an atmosphere of praise. Unbeknownst to me, this theology of praise and thanksgiving, I was surrounded by it, like, as a habit. I wonder how much of this spiral down I've gotten to avoid simply because. I was raised in an environment by this. Just because that's how it works. Some kind of spiritual science, that's just how it works. I'm so grateful. But now that I know, now that I know the theology behind it, now that I know the power that praise and thanksgiving is, it makes it one of the most powerful weapons in my pocket now. Spiritually speaking, I can't be without it. I can't be without it. I can't handle it. What day do you want to... Begin the descent down that Romans 1 spiral. That's the day you decide to not give thanks to God. That's the day you decide you don't feel like praising him. You remember what I said last week. He didn't call us to feel it or feel like it. The siphon works whether you feel like getting the taste of gasoline in your mouth or not. You do it. It fills the tank. That is Something I love having these concrete things to tell you to do. That you can do these things. So let me end today in this series in November. I don't want to. I've learned so much and there's so much more, but uh, with a verse I was actually going to begin this series with. And I kept putting it off and having other moves I wanted to make or whatever. And so I want to end with this Psalm, Psalm 147. It says this, it says, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Three things. Notice the words here that describe praise. Now, I'm, I'm, I am just, I'm saying all this, but my that's my work goal is to say it all. My faith goal is that you leave here with praise and thanksgiving. Permanent fixtures that you will not ever give up again. Not on any day. I am I am. My faith goal is that you become a praiser, that you become a thanksgivinger, okay? From here on out, for your life, for the life of those you love, for the life of the world, that you can be a light, that you can stay. So three things it says here to just hammer this home, cement this in your heart and in your practice. It says it's good to sing praises. Now, I'm not talking about some of y'all, you guys here, let him hear, not the, it's good, right? It's not that. It's not from Jim Carrey. It's not I mean it is. It is good to praise God. But but it's more than that. This is the word that's juxtaposed against evil. There's good and there's evil in this world, and your praise is a move that is decidedly on the side of good. It's good. If I said it's evil to praise the Lord, you that would have teeth. You would think that is something that is evil, it's an evil activity that has an evil effect. Put those teeth on what you're hearing here. It is good. It is good. It's on the side of good. It, ha- it is a good thing to do and it has a good effect. That's what I mean by it being a weapon. In you and around you, when you praise, whether you feel like it or not, you've cast your lot on a side and it's good. It goes on to say it's pleasant to praise. I thought, Pleasant. Well, that's the word, pleasing. And it is pleasing. Two angles on that. I think most of us think it's pleasing to God. I do believe from a previous study that I told you about that God has made himself vulnerable to us. He's not vulnerable to us. He's fully sufficient. But he's made himself like somehow, the only words we have is emotionally vulnerable to us, that he cares, love, God is love. And so that makes him care. And he's, he cares about how we end up, and what we do, and, and our joy. He cares about all that. So I do think it's true to say it is pleasing to him when we pause and tell him we love him. We pause and tell him how great he is. We recognize what he's done, and we give him the praise for it, and we thank him. And we, I think that when I'm just remembering things. I think he's pleased. I, have, I had lots of trophies growing up, but I've only kept one. And it's the one my kids gave me when they were a kid and still by my bed. says, number one dad. It's got a little arrow up like this with a finger. Number one dad. Because it, it fills a father's heart to be praised by their kids, to be told that they did something right. Okay, so I think that's true. But I think there's a truer thing, that it's pleasing. There's something pleasing about engaging in praise. And, and like my latest, I think I may have told you this recently. But my latest expression of this, that like uh, you know how you might get one of those apps that has this, the soothing sounds as you go to bed. There's something pleasing about it, calms you down. You know, I think praising God, you know, it's not just because it's familiar. It's I think it's also because it's a siphon that there's something that is pleasing that pleases us. My mom is, uh, you know, she's pretty much lost her memory, and so the last gift to her when I visit her is just moments, maybe moments that make her smile. She'll forget them, you know, but that's, that's my last effort to give her something, and the thing that she still remembers is old hymns of praise. So every time I leave, the, the workers turned off, and there's always flipping workers. They flip workers, and they're not flipping workers. They're great workers. I really love them and appreciate them. I'm, I'm saying that they flip workers a lot. A lot of turnovers. They don't know to just you can have the TV on so she has something to look at, but turn it down and turn on these this praise music that Dole gave me, you know, so, so that she can just have that for me because she remembers the words and she smiles when she does it. And so there's something pleasing in her. And I think there's, there's something there. And then finally, and this one's interesting, it says it's fitting. It's fitting to praise. So I want to finish with this. Let me ask our praise team to come on up here and lead us in these last songs of praise before I finish up here and ask our elders and our ministers go ahead and move around the room. We're going to corporately respond to this whole series with some more praise here as we finish, but if you need to individually respond, then please, this is why we make these moves. We're eager to, to hear what's going on, pray for you or praise with you. So what does it mean? When it says it's fitting, I think it just means it fits. Praise fits. When? When does praise fit? Continually. Always. In all circumstances. There is not a moment where that siphon doesn't isn't needed and doesn't work. In fact, when you don't feel it is when the lawnmower's tank is empty that it needs the siphon to be filled that's when it's most needed. And so you do this, yes, as an act of obedience, but not because it's a threat, but because your loving Father is so desperate for you to have what He's given you access to, that He's demanding it. He dema- his love demands it. Let alone His character, who He is, and what He's done. That's when an engine needs it. So I don't know what's going on with you today. Something is. I know it is. Something maybe that makes you not feel very thankful, doesn't make you feel very bent towards giving praise. We are the ones, because we're believers, that do it anyway. Let's stand and let's praise this great God.